Good morning. It's always a really big deal to me to be able to be a part of what's happening at Eastside, and I'm grateful for the chance to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you that are here on campus, uh, thanks for being here. Can I, can I just say uh, how really incredible I think it is that the staff has done such a great job in creating uh, a safe environment for us to worship together. Um, I, I, I like the signs I see around that say if uh, you're planning to sing, wear a mask, that mask thing is uh, one of those things where you love your neighbor more than you, you love yourself sometimes. I, I saw those signs and then I saw, then Eric sent me a text that said instead, you know, the sign says for the safety of others, if you, if you plan to sing, wear a mask. He, he texted me and said, for the safety of others, just don't plan to sing. I'm not, I'm not sure how to take that. Um, but but th thanks, for, thanks for the time uh, this morning that you invested in being a part of this, whether here on, on campus or online. Um, real quickly, we'll take just a moment and uh, uh, just want to make sure you, we all w wish Pastor Kerry and Becky uh, a happy 40th wedding anniversary. And isn't that a significant thing, right? Big deal. Uh, so what a, a model for uh, a pastor to be able to share with this church. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but um, there are some subtle differences between men and women. Uh, for example, um, I'm a fixer. If my wife wants to share something with me and, you know, vent a little bit, I'm anxious to fix whatever it is she's talking about. You know, here, do one, two, three, four, you're good to go. And, and, and very early in our marriage, I learned that sometimes all she wants me to do is listen, um, and, and she doesn't want me to fix things. But I, I can't help myself sometimes because that's my nature. But one of the hard struggles in life for me, that being my nature, is to recognize that there are some things you just can't fix. For example, you just can't fix potholes. I, I think after all these years, I've figured it out. It, it, they don't fix them because they don't think they can. There's, there's no way to fix the railroad crossings on Scatterfield Road in Anderson, Indiana. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, right? Um, and and, and there, there's no way to fix the fact that there's four seasons in Indiana, spring and summer and winter. Well, not summer because summer's orange barrel season, isn't it? You can't fix that. Wherever you go, there's always going to be construction. But the roads never get any better. So once again, you know, you, you realize there are things you can't fix. I remember when our kids were growing up, I, I noticed that there was another thing they can't fix. And those of you that might have kids at home, I bet, you, I bet you can resonate with the simple fact that no matter how hard you try, you can't fix the fact that on that rare moment, that rare day you get a chance to sleep in, the kids will be up at 530. It, it's just the way it works. Um, there, there are lots of more serious things in life that we can't fix. 
I mean, we've been struggling for a good long while with, try to, with how to fix this whole, this whole COVID-19 pandemic, and we still are struggling, and we're socially distanced in the building, and, and some of you are, are, are on, uh, online today because of the pandemic. We, we haven't been able to fix so much of our, our culture and history, and we've been struggling together for a long time to fix things that just seem so difficult to fix. And I'm convinced that there are some things that are beyond our capacity to fix. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something or someone powerful enough to manage life, to manage culture, to manage pandemics, to manage us so that those pieces that need to be fixed can be addressed in powerful ways, not in some kind of fixer, but as the one who holds all things together. Colossians 1 describes Jesus as that one in whom all things hold together. And in this day of so much brokenness, isn't it incredible to know that he is the one who can hold us together? I, uh, early on, in uh, our marriage, my wife started making this incredible homemade sourdough bread. I mean, it, 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 it really is fantastic, as you can, as you can tell. It, it, it's, it's, it's so good. And it's been so much a part of our family through all the years that we've been married. We raise our kids. And in all the years in ministry, um, we, we would uh, use that bread as a gift to people that we would go visit, especially people who were sick sometimes. In fact, we had some cancer patients who's told us when they were going through chemo that that was about the only thing they could actually eat. And so it became this blessing that we used to be able to give to people. And then last week I was emptying the dishwasher. And uh, I got the Pyrex, is that the right word? Pyrex bread pan out of the dishwasher and um, I dropped it on the ceramic tile in the, um, in the kitchen. And it didn't just chip or break. I, I think the right word is explode. It, 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 it exploded in, 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 in the kitchen floor. 12.7 million different pieces everywhere. And, and, I, and I see that thing, and all these memories flash before me, the kids enjoying the, the bread when they, when they were young and, and, and taking it to somebody and watching them smile and, and be grateful for, for just a, a gift and the, the ministry and the family and all those things. And, and I really, being the fixer that I said I was, I wanted to fix it. But how do you fix 12.7 million pieces that are broken in front of you? It's, it's, it's not going to happen. So I text my wife and ask her where the dustpan is because um, I don't use it enough to know, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to fix that pan. It, here, here's the thing. There are so many critical pieces of life that get so broken that it feels like they can never get fixed. There are so many critical parts of life that feel like they are beyond repair, that there isn't really any hope for them to, 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 to be taken care of. And, and, and I, I want to address that with you because in this passage that we're going to look at, it's in Acts chapter 3, and it runs from verses 11 to 26. It's a long passage, so we'll just look at it as we get to those parts of it rather than read the whole thing right now. 
But what I want to make sure you know is that in this, in, in this passage, Peter is preaching, I, it's his second sermon in the book of Acts. Luke tells the story. Luke is telling the story, as Pastor Kerry's series uh, reminds us, that, uh, of yours, mine, and ours. It's the stories of, of the people of God. And, and, and Luke is this incredible storyteller. He tells, tells this, this moving and powerful story of the book in the book of Acts and, and and it's really stories in the midst of stories story after story after story and this is a great one but I want to tell you something Peter also in the middle of Luke's storytelling tells a story now a little bit of the background very quickly in Acts chapter 3 the first 10 verses Pastor Kerry did such a great job last Sunday of of of, of walking us through this the the healing of this of this crippled beggar um, at the entrance to the temple. And it was a powerful, powerful story about how in the name of Jesus, this man who could not walk, who depended on other people just for his very sustenance, found healing and hope and he exploded in joy. And the text there talks about him leaping and praising God and all the people around him being amazed. Well, now Peter kind of grabs hold of that story in 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 the process of preaching his sermon. And, and I, I kind of wanted to look at what he does with this sermon and, and put it in the context of maybe um, understanding it in the form of story. Now, because one of the things that you'll notice is that every story, this story included, has a powerful introduction. And I, I, I wanted you to see that in this, in this passage because it really gets us off to a good start. Um, I, I hope you can, as, as we begin walking through that sermon, look at, I hope your imagination can capture this scene. It's, 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 it's this incredible scene where this, this healed cripple, in his, in his unbounded joy, he is holding on to Peter and John with both arms, with all of his might. They're trying to get away, but this guy just won't let them go. In fact, the word that, that Luke uses in the Greek is a word that means he, he clung to them so tightly with such strength. And, and it's a word that sometimes even means that it's, it's, it restrains someone even to the point of being placed under arrest. He, that's how tightly he wanted to grip them and hang on to them. And what happens when he does that is that, that, that he realizes that this man and all the other people who are around are so astonished by the story, they think Peter and John are the ones that did the healing. So in this powerful introduction, Peter sees their faces. He, see, he sees this astonishment. He sees them bug-eyed with amazement. And, and he also realizes that they think that this man was healed by some kind of human power. And so the stage is set for Peter to tell the story. So this powerful introduction begins. And in verse, verses 11 and 12, you begin to see what he has to say about that. Look and see here with me. While the, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. And they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? And, and so what, what happens here is that it was time for Peter to set the record straight. It was time for absolute clarity. 
it was time for them to know that it was by faith in the name. In verse 16, he talks about how it was by faith in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And so what he wants to do is he wants to make sure that there is incredible clarity. I don't know if you guys ever run across something uh, not so perfectly well worded on Twitter. Uh, back, back in the winter, back I think it was like in January, there was a, a post from uh, a sheriff's office in Colorado about a boulder that was in the road. I got, I got to read you this because it's hilarious. Large, large boulder, the size of a small boulder, is completely blocking eastbound Highway 145 at Silver Pick Road. Please use caution and watch for emergency vehicles. So I'm wondering, what's heavier? A large boulder the size of a small boulder or a small boulder the size of a large one? There, there's not a lot of clarity there. <clears throat> but, but now as Luke tells this story, the clarity begins to surface. And he begins this story and he looks at them and, and, and he says, look, I want you to know something. And he addresses them and the first phrase he uses to address them is that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's the one that's engineering this whole story, this whole account, this whole narrative. And, and so he begins to get their attention. I don't, I don't know about you, but there are certain things that kind of get my attention. This past week, Sports Illustrated reports that um, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, signed an contract extension that will mean, according to Sports Illustrated, that over the next 12 years, this young man who just graduated from college in something like 2017, this young man has the possibility of earning $503 million. Now, that's a half a billion dollars, B-I-L-L-I-O-N, billion. That's a lot of money. And so when you read that headline, what's, you know, you're going to read the chapter, right? You're going to read the article when you read the headline because that gets your attention, especially if you're a sports fan. Wow. Peter does that very kind of thing in this passage when he looks at these people and he says, fellow Israelites. Okay, he's talking to these, these Jewish folks who are expecting a great Messiah to come. And he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers, this God, this one God, this creator God, this God that we serve, this is the God who is the star of the story. That's how this man was healed. And so he goes on to, to, to get their attention. So, so he has this, the, the, this incredible introduction, this, 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 this introduction that grabs their attention. So, so, so far we're, we're off to a great start, right? This is a good story in a sermon. And, and so next thing you realize is that this story also has a really intriguing opening chapter. Back again to that first part. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And using that phrase, he gets their attention. And now he's up and running. The reason it's so important that he gets this story off to this, this kind of captivating start is because he's going to tie the story of history, of salvation history all together into the names that he uses for Jesus. And what Peter does in his sermon is, is he, he identifies some of the critical names 
that, 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 come, with, that come with Jesus. And that, those names form the plot that the story has. And so in this passage, uh, the story not only has, has this um, great first chapter, but it has a captivating plot. Now, this is the part where we want to really get focused on this sermon because it, it, it's really a key part. Because the way Peter goes about it is he, he identifies some of the names of Jesus that we've come to appreciate. Um, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 16, rather. Remember that Peter reminds them Jesus was the reason this man was healed. And it wasn't because of some, some human effort. Peter and John were just instruments that God used. And so as, as, he's, as he's walking his way through this message, he reminds them, faith in the name, faith in the name. Well, why is that so critical? Well, in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we see the word name, we're not just talking about what someone is called. It, we're not just talking about how we identify ourselves, but rather in biblical, in biblical theology, the, 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 the name implies the essence of someone. It, replies, it implies their nature. It's, it's who they are. It's their very presence. It's, their, it's, it's, it's the essence of them. And so when he says faith in the name of Jesus is what brought healing to this man, well, then we ought to look at what the names are that he uses. And so first of all, he tells us again that the name, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, the great God, the one God. But then he goes on, and, and if, if you look at from verses, chapter, uh, verses 14 to 16, you'll begin to see he, Peter says, you, you disowned the holy and righteous one. So it's not only the God of our fathers, but also now it's, it's the holy and righteous one. And, and, and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this, and by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as, all you, can, as you all can see. And so, so he moves from the, the, the opening part of the story, and he begins to talk about how this servant, God sent his servant, Jesus. So that's the next name, servant. And, and that name begins to, to fill in the blanks in the story that they're hearing. And the story is the story of the gospel. When they heard the word servant, they began to think of something. And, and, and they began to remember immediately. Because remember, this was a Jewish audience. The prophet Isaiah talked about this servant that would come. And in some places, he even called him the suffering servant in Isaiah. And, and part of what they would remember immediately is Isaiah 53. It would just clicked with them because that's how they were trained. And, and, and that part of that, that chapter says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so now all of a sudden, Peter's telling a story. <laughs> it's a great story now. God, our God, sent his servant 
who was the holy and righteous one, the only one, the only perfect one, the only righteous one, the only one who could accomplish for us our salvation, the only one who could atone for our sins. This is the one that Peter's talking about. This is the one by whose name this man was healed. And so now what you have is this, this story continuing to unfold. And then he says, but you know what? This one is the author of life. And that's where it gets to be really cool. So here's the story. God, the creator of heaven and earth, the king of kings, sent his son, the servant. He sent him to give us life as a ransom for all of us. He came, and in his coming, the word became flesh. The word dwelt among us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the only perfect one, the righteous one. So he was the only one that could make me and you right with God. There was no human effort that could ever make us good enough, no law we could keep, no performance that we could give. And he was the author of life. He was writing the story. The author was writing the story of a new covenant, a new relationship with God. And now today, the author of life <laughs> continues to write stories. And the wonder of it all is that the story has an invitation to respond. If you, if you look at Acts chapter 3, verses 17 to 20, you begin to see how the story has this application. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And here comes the invitation. Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who was appointed for you, even Jesus. The passage continues, and he says, Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your father. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He, he, As, as you read some of those words, maybe it's hard to see how they apply to my life, to your life. But let's go back to that whole thing about fixing things. You know, we, we can find our way into some pretty serious messes. We can live in the midst of some pretty major brokenness. We can struggle with some serious guilt. We can mess up pretty badly. For those of us who perhaps think that the guilt in our lives is too much for, for us to ever find forgiveness, remember that Peter is inviting these people who were responsible for the death of Jesus. The guilt laid on their hands. And he was, he was telling them, look, if you'll, just, if you'll just turn and set your face toward him, repent. If you'll just turn and face your he can forgive your sins and wipe them out. 
can I, can I tell you today that if you're struggling with guilt, you've never asked him to forgive you. You could do that right this very minute because that's the story. And in so doing, he begins to write a new story with your life. He rewrites your history, especially the future part of your history. <laughs> He's gonna, he can do that in so many ways. And so why, why, why wait another moment? Instead, why not ask him to be your forgiver? Ask him into your life. In fact, if, you, if you're watching online and that's something you want to do, there's a way for you to, to say so. And, and, and one of the online pastors will reach out to you. And if you're doing maybe that here in your own chair, reach out to one of our pastors. But I want to tell you too that it's not just people who haven't come to Christ yet whose lives can be broken and messy. We live in messy times. Craziness all around us. And if the truth were known, the author of life, the creator of life, the giver of life, wants to work in your life today. He wants to continue to write your story. Maybe it's rewriting some things that you've messed up. Maybe it's, maybe it's some brokenness that he wants to heal. Maybe it's some fear he wants to cast aside because his perfect love casts fear away from our lives. Maybe there's some real fear that comes with this pandemic that we're facing, that we struggle with even now. Maybe there's a financial worry that makes you wonder if he's got it under control. Yeah, he does. And in this very moment, the author of life wants to write new pages, new chapters in the story of your life. Stories of his power, stories of his grace, stories of his resurrecting ability to, to work in your life, stories about who he is and who you can be in him. The story is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sent his son, the holy and righteous one, the only one who could reconcile us to God so that the author of life could write new stories. You need to know him. Give him, give him your heart. You need to draw near him again or more. You, you need him to help with the brokenness that you feel, the struggle that you're going through. Say so.